Welcome to Northland. Go ahead and take a seat. We are so glad that you are here today, and today I'm greeting you by video. I know that's a little different, but we've got some pretty amazing things to show you. I mean, God has been doing incredible works here at Northland, amazing things through you, and we want to celebrate what he's been up to. And when I say Northland, remember, we're a church that's spread out all over. So yeah, we're gathered here for worship in Longwood, but we're also gathering at Northland and Oviedo, Northland and Lake County, at churches and homes and housing complex, in the jails, in the prisons, and through people and families who are gathered online with us. We really are a church everywhere. Last weekend was All Skate Weekend here at Northland, and we called it All Skate because the All Skate is when everyone got out on the floor. And since our student ministries meet in what used to be an actual roller skating rink, the rink, we loved to do this weekend that was named all about our past, but was looking all into our future. And what a weekend for the future it was. More than 900 people showed up to serve, and over the weekend, thousands showed up to celebrate and worship. Daddy-daughter dance was pretty incredible. It was Friday night and we had dads travel from all over. In fact, one came from Romania. People came from near and far because of the 300 people who served all week and the night of the dance to create a pretty incredible experience. And what an experience it was. Of course, the dads and the daughters, they danced. They did crafts together. They ate snacks and popcorn and cotton candy and even toasted marshmallows together. Some even got their faces painted together. And then everyone came to the sanctuary where we worshiped through a dance performance and a special commitment ceremony led by Pastor Vernon. On Saturday morning, nearly 250 people gathered for our serve day. They came by the ones, by the twos. Some people showed up with their whole family. Some showed up with their whole small group. Our disaster response team served breakfast to everyone. Then we all shared at a time of worship and prayer. Then the teams were off. We served in Northland and in the community at 13 different projects. We served with Christian Help, United Against Poverty. We served doing yard work. Some people played games with seniors, others spent time with local refugees. Some people helped clean up the aftermath of the daddy-daughter dance, while others helped set up for joy prom that was happening later that night. And people served, but they also made connections and formed relationships with each other. That night, our special needs community gathered for joy prom. 90 guests walked down the red carpet, received and welcomed and loved by our students from the middle and high school student ministries. Our amazing team of buddies who faithfully serve in the Access Ministries, they accompanied the guests for a time of celebration and worship and connection. Hundreds of volunteers worked to create an amazing experience of celebration and connection for that special needs community throughout that night. Saturday night, groups of men from Northland traveled to the Better Man event at Calvary Orlando. And one of the groups, more than a dozen guys, got together on motorcycles and biked down to join together with the 4,000 other men from all around Central Florida. And those guys, they got a spiritual supercharge from the speakers, including our friend Nick Vojcic, who is coming here to Northland for an outreach event this March 21st. And then last weekend, we gathered to celebrate and worship God for all the things he's been doing through this community. We had kids in the sanctuary with us for worship and had a blast singing songs of praise and having Pastor Matt teach us how God gives us cause to celebrate, even when we're in the middle of no good, very bad days. We are so thankful for our great God and the amazing work he did during All Skate Weekend. And we're thankful for the hundreds and hundreds of people in this church family who showed up and served in such significant ways. And we know God's not done. 
March 21st, Nick Vujicic is coming for, well, it's like a tent revival, really, right here in the sanctuary. And we want to fill this place out, but not just with our church family. Bring friends who don't know Jesus, because we know God uses Nick to change hearts. So let's see how God uses this event to transform our community. Speaking of bringing friends, Easter is less than a month away. This Easter, we're gathering for all sorts of reasons. We've got an evening family Monday, Thursday service, a noon Good Friday service. Then for Easter, we're gathering on Saturday at five and seven. Then on Easter Sunday at eight, 10 and noon. So plan to be here for worship this Easter. Plan to serve for Easter too. We need hundreds of people to help and serve to make Easter at Northland happen. And be praying. Pray that God would continue the amazing work he's doing at Northland. Pray that we'd see people coming to faith at Nick's event. Pray that we'd be a community transformed and renewed during our celebration of Easter. Right now, let's be a community and stand up and meet and greet our neighbors. Of the world by darkness 
whispers cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand.
did. Well, today we are worshiping Christ as the bread of life, the one that, that sustains us, that gives us everything that we need. We remember that in him, we can rest and be satisfied. We, we can find true contentment in him. We just, we just sang those words about how even our very breath, the thing that sustains our, our, our physical living is given to us by him. And so how then, how else could we spend our breath but by praising him? And yet, there are so many days when we feel like doing anything but praising him. We maybe are just distracted, but we don't feel like talking to him, thinking about him. And maybe we feel like we have good reason Things in our life are falling apart. We're busy. There's lots of things that we choose to spend our breath on. I know for me, I often find myself spending my breath on just trying to earn, earn God's approval, others' approval. But we end up spending our breath on ourselves so many days. But even then, even in those places, while we're sinners, while we're completely undone, when we're mourning because we have every right to, because our world is truly falling apart. And then in those places where we're just discontent and grumpy, even in those places, God rises. He rises above our discontentment. He rises above our discomfort, above our circumstances. And as he rises, he invites us in. He draws us in and he continues to be faithful. So no matter if we waver, he will always stay firm, stay true. Lamentations three says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love can't dry up. They're created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness, O oh God. And so I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. And so maybe today, as he rises, as we remember that he rises above all things, maybe melodies of praise can kind of sneak from our lungs in a genuine way as we learn to follow his lead, as our praises rise and he makes us able. So as we prepare our hearts for the message today, would you let these words of this next song just wash over you as you receive and remember his sufficiency.
The congregation, would you rise? Hey, let me tell you, that song was uh, created by Kaylee and Ryan and Sydney back there, and uh, yeah. It is on my repeat play, on my playlist, and you, shameless plug here, uh, you can get it anywhere you get streaming music, and you should. It's called Loyal Music is what they call it, but really proud of it, and it's a wonderful song. Let's pray together. God, we will not be consumed by fear. We will not be moved by doubt, because we will rise as you do. We will rise because you are the God that nothing could hold back. And because we are your people, we in turn will follow you. We will go with you in however you take us. Thank you for the privilege we have of coming and, and exalting you, of lifting up your name, of praising you. Thank you for the privilege we have of being known as, as those who follow you but make a difference in this world as a result. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here now and taking all that we've sung and said and prayed, and now as we look into your word together, that our worship would continue as your spirit illuminates that word. We thank you for the privilege of studying it together. We thank you for the tithes and offerings that will be given today. We thank you for this time now together. Lead us, rise up in us, and let us make a difference in how we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Gabe. Well, we're so grateful that, uh, that you are here, thankful that you've brought the church into these rooms. And as we remind you, we, we do this every time we gather for a purpose. That purpose is to worship God for who he is and what he's done. And today we acknowledge that he is the bread of life. And indeed, that is a reason for us to be together and celebrate. I want you to know that it's, uh, if you saw at the beginning of the service where Nathan uh, reminded us of all the things that happened last weekend, it was an extraordinary weekend last weekend, the All Skate Weekend and all those activities, again, an example of, of what God's people do when they come together with a common purpose under the name of Jesus Christ. And, and it's something to truly celebrate and be grateful for. And I thought all that was over, and I drove onto the campus yesterday morning, and this place was once again packed out uh, by people doing all kinds of stuff. You know, Buddy Break was going on, and I walked, yeah, we love Buddy Break, and they can always use volunteers, just a plug there for that. Uh, but I, I, I just walked by and watched the amazing um, thing that happens when God's people come together for a purpose. While they were in one part of the campus, on another part of the campus, there were a big group of people that were getting ready to go out on a one-to-one -one hope prayer walk. Yeah, some of you were there for that. And let me tell you what they do. These are brave people that uh, they are made up of, of victims advocates, of victims of trafficking, of uh, volunteers, and they head out into some some of the most difficult parts of our community where they suspect or are concerned about trafficking situations going on and they go and they pray in those situations 
And they pray for protection. They pray for the power of God to be present, present there. And just watching them organize was amazing yesterday. And the places that they talked about going. And then I was here for a funeral. We had a funeral yesterday that uh, Barbara Doyle, who was a dear part of our community, and, and I see some faces of some of you who were here. It was a big event because Barb made a significant impact on our community in the way she loved and the way she served Brian, her husband, a uh, ministry called Iron Sharpens Iron. And, and uh, as we gathered, not to celebrate death, but to celebrate life, the life that she brought. And just before that happened, I, I had just walked to each of those situations before I walked into this room and realized what an amazing gift it is for the body of Christ to work together in this way. And this is a difference that we make together in this world, in this community. Not only here, but I was just looking at all the folks who are online from all parts of the world. What a gift it is for us to be with you in correctional facilities in so many different parts of our community, in uh, individual situations where house churches are gathered and folks are just uh, got a text from somebody just waiting at the airport for a flight and just grateful that we can be connected in the way we are. Again, it's a picture of the body of Christ. It's so appropriate for where we are in our study. As you know, we're, we're going through this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. This is a church that Paul had established some 10 years before. He's now in a Roman jail, chained to a guard and maybe a wall. And, uh, and he's pretty sure that you know, he's not going to leave this situation in Rome. But he's writing to the church in Philippi with great joy. And the theme of this letter, we've been telling you, is joy. It's joy. And so Paul is saying to them that that is what he wants for them. And then we're doing this, we're continuing this up until Palm Sunday, we'll be finished by then. And so we've also got this backdrop of this Lenten season that's going on right now in our calendar. And for me, uh, I've been telling you guys about how much I love Epiphany. I didn't until this year, but during the season of Epiphany, I started writing down the ways that I see the kingdom of God working in real time, in real situations. And yesterday I saw that again. I saw the epiphany of what God's people can do when they come together under the banner of Christ for the purposes of Christ. And so Paul is exhorting the church at Philippi to do that. So you can imagine the joy that he felt when he knew that this church was doing this, was coming together. You know, it's just my suspicion I've tried to find a commentator or uh, a theologian that would back me up on this, but I can't. I'm just going to venture it out there. It's just my thought. That I kind of think that Philippi might have been Paul's favorite church. Uh, because just the way he addresses them. Now, he addressed tenderly all of the churches. But even the way he, there's not really any discipline that he does there. He's got one little thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago. of got one little thing, two women that got crossways with each other. And, but even that is fairly gentle and fairly passing in his comments. But he addresses them with some, with some uh, gentleness, but also has great expectations for them. Some of you might know what it's like to be the favorite uh, of somebody. 
you know, I grew up in a family, I have three brothers, and uh, two are older than me and one younger than me. And growing up in my family, you know, I kind of had the idea my whole childhood, and maybe even up until my present day, that uh, I was kind of the favorite of the family. My brothers are probably not watching right now, so I think I'm okay saying this. And, um, but it's that thing, it's kind of the way my parents, I saw the way my parents, I saw my two older brothers and all the honorary things that they did and how much trouble they got into. And I realized that is not how I want to live. I do not want the consequences that come with that. And so it wasn't that I was just so good. It was just that I just didn't want to deal with those kind of consequences. And so I didn't do some of that stuff. I did other stuff that they didn't know about, but I didn't do that stuff that they would find out about. And so I just always had this, you know, and they used to tease me about it. They would say, you know, well, you're just, because you're the favorite, right? And I would just say, I, I kind of am. And, uh, it, you know, if it's real, then you got to deal with it. And so um, to this day, they, they make a big deal about that. But I, I kind of wonder if the church at Philippi might have just had that perspective a little bit. They didn't know how Paul addressed the other churches, but they know that they were dearly loved by Paul because he made that very clear. And even his message, even his hope for them to have joy. For the people that are our are favorites, we want joy for them, right? The people that we love a lot, we want joy for them. And for the people around you this morning, you want joy for them. You want them to know the joy that comes from not only being all of who they might be, but being more than that because of who Jesus is and what he, the difference he makes in our life. It's why we gather here. It's why we would sing these kind of songs. And so with that in mind, and again, the backdrop of joy, we're gonna look at just three verses. That's all they ever let me teach here, three verses. That's about the size of what I can handle. And so um, three verses, but I'm gonna try to make the most out of these three verses and make this as long as I can uh, in the result. I'm kidding about that. Uh, but let me read for you uh, Philippians chapter four. This is also part of what Paul's style in this letter is. It's like you think he's done, but then he thinks of one more thing that he wants to tell them, you know? And uh, so here we are in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Encourage you always to read this for yourself. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you or a device you want to read it on, it's printed in a worship guide. We'll put it on the screens every way possible. Just want you to know we're not making this stuff up. It's too good. It's too good for that. And so let me read these verses to you and we'll talk about them a little bit. This is Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
This uh, verse 13 is one of those coffee mug verses or a t-shirt or a tattoo verse, you know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's a great verse. The problem is a lot of times when we use it, we use it out, use it out of the context in which Paul actually gave it to us because it doesn't mean that we can just do anything we want because we've got a superhero God who works in us and makes us say, I can't play in the NBA no matter how much Christ strengthens me. Uh, there's just a difference there. But what I can do is I can do contentment. And that's Paul's secret here. He's saying contentment is what I've learned. Even in a prison, I've learned contentment. I've learned the secret to contentment. And the secret to contentment is joy itself. And what I want to do is help you to see hopefully what God has shown me. And he will show it to you in a different way. But I can only tell it to you in the way he showed it to me. I read a great little book last week by Maltby Babcock. Maltby Babcock, as far as I know, just wrote one book. It's called Thoughts for Everyday Living. Published this in 1901 and he died. And it was the last book he, he wrote, obviously. And, uh, but he has a great statement in this book. Uh, it, it's this, contentment is not satisfaction. It is the grateful, faithful, fruitful use of what we have, little or much. This is contentment. To have the most and best in life by making the most and best of what we have. Malty, Maltby Babcock also said that we're not responsible for the disposition related to contentment that we're born with, but we are responsible for the disposition related to contentment that we die with. And we have a lifetime to figure that out. And so with that in mind, think for a moment of the difference between contentment and satisfaction. They're really different. Satisfaction is something that we have to continually reproduce in ourselves. The great theologian Mick Jagger made it really clear, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Though I try, and I try, and I try, I can't get no satisfaction. He was right about that. No matter how many times you try, you can get satisfied for a little bit of time, but it is not contentment. It's kind of like what right now, many of us are caught up in March Madness in college basketball. And I'll tell you, yesterday, my team won. Yeah, that's right. And I was satisfied. I still am satisfied. Right now, I'm satisfied. But you know what, there's another game at one o'clock today. Tom, I see, your, I see your Tennessee volunteer shirt over there. And you're satisfied too, aren't you? Because your team's playing my team today. At the end of that game, one of us is not going to be satisfied. <laughs> one of us, but neither of us are going to be content. Because you know why? There's another game. Because both our teams are going to get into the big dance. And, and maybe we'll win a couple of games along the way. And we'll be satisfied. But we won't be content. Because there will be another game, and as long as there's another game, then contentment won't come. One of us may even win the national championship. Will we be content? For a little while, but there's always next year. When you're from Kentucky, you always say there's always next year. You know. 
But contentment will never come. Or think about if you've ever had, you, some of you do this uh, and some of you don't, I know, but Thanksgiving meals where you sit around a table and you just eat way more than anyone should ever consume, you know, in one setting. And you just eat and eat and eat, you know, and then you push back from the table. Are you, are you satisfied? Yeah, you're, you're satisfied for a little while, for a couple hours, maybe three, and then what happens? Well, you got all the leftovers, you know, and then you start, you eat some more. Well, are you satisfied? Well, you're satisfied for a little while, but are you content? Let me tell you where contentment comes in that kind of a setting. Contentment comes if we take the time and, and pull back from the table and realize, I'm satisfied because I've been fed well here. But more importantly, look who's around me. I have people around me that I love. I've been given much. You know, if you, in the sound of my voice, you've been given much. We all have reason to be content because of what we have, what we've been given, what's been entrusted to us. There's contentment in that. And we're responsible for how we steward that over the course of our lifetime. For many of us, we feel satisfaction and think that's what we're after until it's not. And then we wonder what's missing. Well, I want, to know, I want you to know that I've had an epiphany this week that I pursue satisfaction a lot more than I pursue contentment. And I want to change that. I read this piece that uh, I read it in a Francis Chan book that was actually written, it's called Present Tense. It was written by a guy named Jason Lehman, 14 years old when he wrote this. Here's what it is. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors, it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air, it was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season, it was now winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. <laughs> the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age. I wanted the presence of mind without limitation. And then my life was over and I never got what I wanted. You ever feel that way? Ever have those longings like that? Those longings are for satisfaction. And let me just tell you that what Paul found in a Roman prison was something far more than satisfaction. He found contentment. Because brothers and sisters, contentment is the secret. If you're a note taker, this is number one. Contentment is the secret. What's the secret for? What is the secret to? It's the secret to joy. 
It's like Paul waits until nearly the end of this letter. He's described joy to us and that it's something we're to pursue. And here, tucked into this little verse, he tells us the secret to having joy. It's being content. It's finding contentment. It's kind of like knowing a secret. Isn't it fun to learn secrets? Isn't it fun to have a secret? You know, this whole series we based on uh, a statement by G.K. Chesterton that, where he said that joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the giant secret of the Christian. It's like we got this. We got this thing, you know, that's in us. It's not just for us, but it's in us. And it's like having a secret that we carry it around. And when you have a secret like that, you can't help but be smiling more than usual or having some joy more than usual. I've had this happen to me a lot of times in life. I, I've got a buddy here at Northland, Rick Bradshaw. Most of you know Rick. Rick is uh, one of our security guys at Northland. And Rick and I have been friends for decades now. And, and uh, a few years ago, I asked Rick's permission to tell you this, and he sort of said, okay. Um, but a few years ago, Rick said to me, Rick and I both love coffee, and, and Rick said, man, I, I need to talk to you about something. It's kind of heavy, and so would you come over to my house? And, and uh, I said, sure, and he said, I've got this, this cold brew coffee that I make, and, uh, and you can try that coffee out. And so I go over to his house, he pours me a cup of this cold brew coffee that he makes, and then we go on his back porch, and we start talking, and it gets really heavy, and I mean, we're a couple hours in. And Rick's telling me some pretty heavy things, and, and, I, and I'm trying to do the same thing back to him. It's a real serious conversation. And then Rick leans in, and Rick says, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you the secret, the secret I've learned. I'm like, okay. He said, do you want to know? I do. Hazelnut. Hazelnut is the secret. The secret to my coffee is hazelnut. And I said, well, Rick, that wasn't exactly the secret I was looking for. <laughs> but sometimes we don't know the secret that we're looking for. We know that we're looking for something, but a lot of times those secrets are bound up in satisfaction and not contentment. And here's why, because contentment has an enemy. It's, it's not just, satisfaction is not the enemy. It's just a substitute, but, seek, but contentment really does have an enemy. And that is a word that's a great word, acedia. Dr. Laura told me that it's the same word in English as it is in Spanish because it's a Latin-rooted word. And acedia is a great word. It's the word that the church used long ago, which finally everybody kept saying, what's acedia mean? And so they changed it to sloth. It's one of the seven deadly sins. Acedia will kill you. It will destroy you. Because here's what it is. It's a spiritual or mental sloth. It's apathy. It's just not caring. It's just getting to the place in your life where you're bored by everything. You're even bored by yourself. You just don't care anymore. It's looking at a sunset and yawning. It's being with a friend who loves you a lot and staying focused on your phone and thinking the next text message has got to be better than what I'm experiencing right now. It's you, it's, you'd rather play a video game than, you get the point, I'm not going to rub your nose in your sins this morning. But acedia is the enemy of contentment. 
It's just living a life that is bored with oneself and all that you experience. And the reason it's a spiritual enemy is because you can't overcome acedia by yourself because you yourself are the root of the acedia. You need help with this. That's why God doesn't call us to be individual Christians. He calls us to a community. And so if you want to get out of your acedia, then come to Buddy Break. You want to get out of your acedia? Come be a, a Sunday school teacher. You want to get out of your acedia? Come and serve one day on a serve day. You want, join, a, join a Bible study. You know, those are ways we overcome acedia in our life, but we don't do it on our own. We get tired of listening. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews describes it with these words in chapter 5, Hebrews 5. He, the writer has been telling the people, the, the Hebrews, that uh, they needed to grow up. They needed to mature. They needed to get over themselves, literally, he says that. And then he says in verse 11, I've got a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves, yet here I find you needing someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Let me just tell you, acedia sneaks up on you, and it will overcome you if you're not paying attention. When we first moved to Florida, we did what all people who moved from a cold place to Florida do. We would go to the beach all the time. I mean, November, December, January, February, we still would go to the beach, you know. We don't do that as much now, but, but when we first moved here, we um, went to the beach one, one Sunday afternoon, uh, and it was fairly cold, but we went anyway. We had a newish car, and we drove it over, over to the beach, and we parked at New Smyrna where everybody was parked. And then uh, we got out of the car, and we wandered around past the jetties there, and had walked and, and just walked a long way back. We found a place where nobody else was. We kind of plopped down, had a picnic. We were hanging out, having fun. I wasn't thinking about anything except how pretty it was out there, you know. And, and, uh, and then Connie remembered something that we'd left in the car. And I said, well, I'll go back and get it. And so I headed back to the car and I walked. It took me a little time to get there. And as I was rounding the bend, I looked and there was this car that some fool had dr driven right into the ocean. And, and I, don't get ahead of me. And, um, and I, as I looked at the car, that was the first thought that went through my head. Look, look what some idiot did, you know, drove right into the ocean. And so I'm walking and as I get closer to the car, I, I realize, isn't that funny? That car is the same color as my car, you know. At least they had good taste in color, you know. And as I got closer still, I realized it was the same make and model of my car. And then I looked and there was this group of people standing up on the beach pointing at the car like they were trying to figure out what to do. And then I got close enough and realized I'm the idiot. I didn't drive my car out there. But so I go out there. You know, the car at this point, the water is up almost even with the top of the, of the wheels. 
you know. And so I, and so I had to literally force open the door, got in, water came in, and, and uh, I get in and miraculously the car starts, it just won't go anywhere. And so a group of guys came out and they helped me and, and we got the car back up, you know, uh, all out of the water. Car was never the same after that. But you know, I didn't intend for that to happen. It's just that I wasn't paying attention, you know, and the tide came in and it got to a level that I couldn't handle it anymore. I couldn't manage it anymore. I think that happens to us. We don't mean to get to the places in our life where we shouldn't be, but the tide just comes in and it just overcomes your good intentions because nobody changes their life with good intentions. And it just overcomes your sense of satisfaction because that's not your goal. And acedia sets in in that same way because we're not watching what we're doing. And if our pursuit is for contentment, there will be a different outcome. I'm not saying you won't end up in the ocean, I'm just saying there will be a different outcome. Because contentment is the secret and acedia is the enemy of this. But contentment also is the strategy for joy. It's not only the secret to joy, it's the strategy for joy. There's a lot of ways that the Bible tries to teach us this, but one of the most significant poignant examples I know of is the story of the temptation of Jesus Christ. Now, the whole, all the gospel writers tell this story. Each one of them tells it a little bit different, and it's an interesting study. I, this week, I went through and read each gospel writer's account. I'm just going to tell you a couple of highlights from Luke's account of, of what happened when Jesus is in this wilderness situation. This is right after, and, and, use, and, and instead of putting the text on the screen, I just want to put this painting that uh, Paul Rubens painted in 1620. It's a picture of Jesus. This is his, his imagination of, of Jesus being out in the wilderness and Satan coming to Jesus. And, and he's saying to Jesus this, Jesus, this is after he's been baptized, he's filled with the Spirit, the writer says. And then he goes out and for 40 days he is without food out in the wilderness fasting. And he says, very quite obviously, and he was very hungry. You bet he was. He was very hungry. And so Jesus, in the midst of this, Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That's what this picture is. And so Satan is appealing to him, first of all, by questioning his identity. And in so doing, He's appealing to his satisfaction. He's appealing to, you can satisfy me believing that you're the son of God if you do this thing, if you turn these stones into bread. Now, Jesus could have easily turned those stones into bread. He could have turned a tree into a corn dog if he'd wanted to. That was just not what he was pursuing. Those would be satisfaction pursuits. Instead, Jesus responds to him and says, as it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's Deuteronomy 8 that Jesus is quoting and saying that. And so Satan goes on. Satan is, doesn't know the future, but he knows the past and he sees the present. 
And he goes on, so he approaches it a different way, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it's been handed over to me. Has it really? And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. So what's he doing here? Satan is a liar. He's always a liar. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's how he always starts. He'll lie to you. He'll make it sound good, but he'll lie to you. And so Jesus, knowing that, that he's a liar, Jesus answered him, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus responded to lies with truth. This is from Deuteronomy 6 again. And then it says that he led him, he, Satan, led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, Satan knows scripture too. And so Satan, after two times, realizes, oh, so it's scripture we're using. I can do that. Satan knows more scripture than you know. And this is Psalm 91, 11 that he says to Jesus, but he does not interpret scripture like the Holy Spirit does. And so Jesus answered him, it said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Deuteronomy 6. And then Luke says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until a more opportune time. You know when that opportune time would come? When Jesus is in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And again, he is somewhat discouraged. He's not, he's not discouraged on his mission, but physically and emotionally, it's an opportune time for the devil. That's when the devil will come at you in those times when you are discouraged on emotional levels, physical levels, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, that's when Satan comes. Those are opportune times. There is a way to fight that. The strategy of contentment comes in those times. And even if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, if my hope is built in the contentment that I have in Christ, then that's a weapon that Satan cannot overcome. That's contentment. The reason that Jesus went through this temptation is so that he can, you can know, we can know, that anything we've faced, he has faced more. The writer of Hebrews says in, in chapter 4, verse 15, that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So who has endured more temptation? The one who goes through temptation and never gives in to sin, or the one who gives in to sin more, more quickly? Well, the one who has endured the temptation knows more about temptation than the one that has just given in to it. Jesus knows more about temptation than you do. No matter what you think you've been through and what you think you have, have been tempted by, Jesus has been more. And I believe it when it says, and he never gave in, he never yielded to it. And so that's the strategy 
It's strategic in that this is where our power comes from. There is power in contentment. Contentment is not passive. It's not just saying, well, I'm just going to hang back here and I'm just going to be content to let everything else happen. That's not being content. Contentment is finding the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our contentment, our hope, our power, our strategy, even the secret to our joy is through contentment in Christ. But there's one more thing that it is, and it's that contentment is sacramental. Contentment is, is sacramental. Sacraments are the, is what makes holy things out of the ordinary. Just ordinary things. It's, it's when holiness happens as a result. The scene that I told you about here on Northland's campus yesterday morning, that was a sacramental scene to come and see all those activities, all those folks wanting to serve their community and serve Jesus in the process. Those are sacraments that happen. I um, have thought a lot about the ways that, that this works in my own life, the, the, the places in my life where ordinary things can become holy because I look for the way that I can be content in whatever outcome God wants to produce through this. And it's tricky because I can only, I have to be very much wired into what God's intentions are in order for me to trust what the outcome will be. And again, it's tricky sometimes. I've got a buddy, Tim Johnson, who is a pastor here in town, and I, I see Tim every week. Tim, before he was a pastor, played in the NFL, and, and he played, uh, yeah, some of you know Tim, and, and uh, he was an All-American. He's a big guy, 6'3". I mean, uh, he calls me his twin brother. Uh, and if we are, it's like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, we're that kind of, but um, Tim and I, on Thursday, he was telling me this, and I thought, this is a great picture of this. <clears throat> he was saying that, you know, he was a defensive lineman, but he also was on special teams, and he said that when he was playing football, Tim has a Super Bowl ring, and, and, and um, just dropping that out there to say this guy would know what he's talking about. And he, and Tim said, any time that the ball comes down the field, like a ball's been kicked off or punted, you know, the receiver, whoever receives that ball can be assured of two things. One, that there's 11 guys coming down that field that want to knock you into next week. You know, that's one thing you can be sure of. You can be sure that not one of those 11 guys is going to do anything to get you to your goal line. But you can also be sure that there's 10 other guys that would do just about anything to get you to your goal line. And Tim was saying this and he said, and, and when that happens in those moments, that's, a, that's holy. Now you have to really love football for that to be holy. But for him, those were holy moments, you know. And he said, I look back on that now, and he said, that's how I feel a lot of times in running this race together, or I'm switching metaphors, but you get the point, that, that we've got people that are absolutely going to do anything they can to keep us from getting to the place we need to go. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Matt talked about it again last week. You've got people that are going to work against you in this. 
And it's important for you to decide who's for you and who's against you. And not that you hate those people, but we love those people who are even against us. We bless those who curse us. But we don't expect them to do any blocking and tackling for us. There are other people who want to get you to that place. And there is a communal holiness to that. When we see ourselves in that kind of place that we're going to, I'm going to look out for you. You're going to look out for me. Because we're going to, our job here is to get there together. If I get there without you, I've missed the point. And when I get there, I won't be content. I might be satisfied for a little while, but I won't be content. Contentment is when we move sacramentally to the place that God wants us to be. That's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. That's what Paul is saying to us. You know, that we need to learn to be content no matter what circumstance we're in. And to do that, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We do that because our power is in Jesus himself. And we remember, the other part of the sacrament is we remember who is in control. Remember me telling you about the book I read, Maltby's uh, book? Uh, I, re I found another little piece in that same book that I didn't know where this came from, and I do now, but he wrote these words. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. When I read that first, I thought, oh man, I can't use it because he says satisfied. And I've been telling, I'm going to be telling him that you can't be satisfied. But here's the good thing about the selection of this word that Maltby uses. And it's this, Jesus will be satisfied, but he will never stop. Jesus will rise every day. Mercy will come over you every morning. He will never be satisfied until we all reach this final goal of, of seeing his kingdom, being in his kingdom together. He will, be, he, he will then be content that his work on earth is done. But his spirit will continue to unite our hearts together. And so that's what sacraments do. And so we're gonna partake of the sacrament this morning. And what we're gonna see this table as being is, is our way of communally coming into this place of understanding of what God has done for us, of our need for Jesus and his power in our lives itself. Because contentment, if it's seen as the secret to joy and the strategy being the power of Jesus and then the communal aspect of a sacrament, it'll start making us really believe that we are Jesus's favorites because we all are. He loves us, that's why he came. But part of this too is we wanna remember the story of why he came, how he came. So we're gonna hear one more part of the Easter story, and Gia's gonna come up now and, and read the, that part of the story. So while Gia is coming, I'm not sure, there you are. Uh, 
Let me just tell you that as she does this, we're going to first hear this story, and then we'll partake of communion uh, together before our service ends. Please hear these words from the book of John, chapter 6, verse 6, verses 32 through 35. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Communion stewards to move to the locations from where they will serve you. And I hope you don't miss the connection here, the significance of this, the bread of heaven. If we eat this bread, if we drink this cup, he, he not only satisfies us, but he gives us a sense of contentment in that he will never stop putting this meal before us. So it's a meal of contentment. It's a meal of sacrament. And so as you ponder this today, let me give you just these practical instructions as to how we will partake. There will be an usher who will invite you to move forward to where the stewards are. And there you can take a piece of bread, dip it into the cup of your choice. The lighter liquid is juice, the darker is wine. You can partake immediately. Some people prefer to carry it back to their seat so they can sit and ponder it a bit. You can do that as well. If for any reason you can't move to where the stewards are, there are folks with trays. They'll make their way around this room and they'll serve you right where you are. Just get their attention. Parents, we encourage you to give your children direction on whether and how they should partake of this. But if you have questions about it and not sure that you should or not sure why we do it or, or just want to talk to somebody before you partake, some of our ministers will be in the back of the room and they're online as well. And for our friends online, anything you have to eat or drink can be used as elements for this sacrament because the point is what's behind these elements. And let me tell you what that is. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. And he says that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, this bread of life. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body given for you. Take and eat this. And each time you do, remember Remember me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had blessed it, he said, This is the new covenant that I make with you. Take and drink this. And each time, each time you do, remember me. Paul would go on to say that every time we eat this meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That sounds like bad news, but it's the best news of all. It's the gospel itself. And so this morning, would you proclaim it? As the ushers invite you to do so, would you move forward and have communion with Christ and with one another?
so this week you've got an opportunity in front of you to live a contented life. It'll look different than a satisfied life, but you will make that decision with each choice that comes along. And so if you need to pray about that before you go today, there will be folks in the front of this room that are here to pray with you and for you about anything at all, but especially your need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never trusted Him for your salvation, this would be a great day to do that, and we encourage you to come and do that before you go. Tim Keller once said that, it won't be an, it, until Jesus, if, and you won't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And if the wisdom of this message from Paul would tell us anything, that's what we have. That's what we have for all eternity. And so I encourage you to give that thought as you go through your week this week. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in His peace his power, and his provision. Amen.